what's up, listeners? Hey, listeners. <laughs> to people listening to the to the podcast? No, I'm supposed to say, hello, listeners. Welcome oh. to the next session. An advice podcast for game masters seeking help with their next game session. It's funny that if you don't say the first part, I don't remember to say the yeah. next part. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. <laughs> hey, what's up, listeners? Hey, how's it going? People <laughs> listening to the podcast. There we go. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I need that apparently. It's muscle memory at this point, but like vocal muscle memory? Vocal memory. Vocal memory. That's just regular sound memory, I think. <laughs> Audible. Regu regular old sound memory. Audible memory. Yeah. Audible I can, memories. I can, I can hear those memories. <laughs> I don't know why, but audible memories makes me think about um, our daughter used to. Um, she would want a specific version of a song, but instead of saying version, she would say virgin, and it was always confusing. Oh, yeah. I want to listen to Daddy's Virgin of Carol of the Bells. Yeah. Be like, I'm sorry, my, what? My, my virgin. What? <laughs> yeah. You said audible memories. I know. You didn't pick up on any of that? No, I didn't think that memories was intentional. Oh, yeah. It was very intentional. Because you then didn't talk about whatever. Apply on words. It's fine. Well, very funny. This next session help comes from another person who is very used to flubbing lines. Flubba jubba too. Flub flubba jubba too. Flubba jubba flubba jubbas also. Flubba jubba too. Flubba jubba be all flubba jubby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oof. yeah. Okay. I really like saying your name. I kind of flubba jubba is pretty fun. To I say. want you to uh, write in all the time, listener. When you're listening, not flubba jubba, obviously. Everybody else. Go ahead and say Flubba Jubba. Flubba Jubba. Oh, it's good, isn't it? It's kind of like Tutti Fruity. It is a little like Tutti Fruity. Flubba Jubba. Flubba Jubba too. Flubba Jubba. Hey, Flubba Jubba says, trying to write a campaign, but I'm having a hard time expanding beyond the beginning. So I'm usually pretty bad at coming up with ideas, even if they're unoriginal. But I wrote a campaign and ran it about a year ago, and I think it was pretty good. And I have an idea for another one that actually provides an in-universe workaround for player scheduling conflicts. <laughs> Do tell. Yeah, I want to know that. So here's my idea. A mysterious phenomenon has been occurring where people seemingly at random have been disappearing for varying amounts of time, only to return with absolutely no memory of where they went or even that they went anywhere at all. I think at the beginning, the party is at a town that gets its biggest economic boost from a bunch of potions and elixirs that they make and export to other towns. But one of the ingredients they need is in a dangerous part of the woods, and the ranger, whose job it is to collect said ingredient, has disappeared. So first the party has to do that job in his stead, in this ranger's stead. But I can't think of a single idea for after that happens. Do you have any ideas? Maybe on why people are disappearing or why they're coming back or why they don't remember? Hmm. Okay, that's an interesting, interesting idea. I do like that if you have a player who can't make it that week or that month or whenever you meet, you can be like, they disappeared for a while. Oh, sure. It does provide a really easy explanation for, for people kind of skipping out on a game. Plus, if they do happen to skip out on a game, you can use that as a... Uh, most people don't remember where they went, but you remember X, Y, Z. What if the reason they're disappearing is because of like time bubbles? Time bubbles. Like they, they are reappearing because it is instantaneous for uh, them. 
What is it in Futurama? Chrono. Chronotons. 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 Chronotons to beat the Globetrotters. Yeah. Um, so it could be like that, but individual, you know, it's just this one person or just this one thing that's skipping ahead. I like that idea. I also was thinking if the town exports potions and elixirs, and uh, one of them is a dangerous ingredient in the woods, like we get that. But remember a long time ago we had um, someone write in about what happens if you accidentally dump a bunch of like bad potion in this river? Mm. What was going to happen to the to the um, fish and all sorts of things like like we were brainstorming? Sure, yeah. What if something happened with one of these exports where the box got looted or um, spilled and broke? Yeah, mixed together, was shuffled around, was um, dropped off a train, mm. and what's actually happening is there's some sort of like invisible cloud. Um, surrounding the town that is people like people are getting disappeared because of that phenomenon hmm. I suppose so I the problem with that and with the the you know time skip thing is it is it really raises the question of like well what do you do next though well you know if there's a cloud of magic potion that's that's uh infecting the town or whatever then What's the next step on that? Well, the first step is to discover it. And so right. what you can yeah. do is you can have your players go talk to the potion makers, like double check their shipments, and then you might have to double check, um, investigate when someone says, we didn't get our shipment. And then that's that's where you start the triggering start of this campaign to find out, you know, we didn't get our shipment because of we don't know why. Can you find out? And then they go and investigate, and then they can find, like, crates have been disappearing or maybe there's a crater gone or something that can lead them to the next step maybe it's not like a, a shipment that went awry maybe what do potion makers do with the potions that didn't turn out right like maybe there's a potion maker who's you know illegally dumping um potions and and that's that's what's causing this this effect which is very similar to the original question that we had right yeah oh what if they put everything inside of a dimension door hmm as, as a way of like it's just a dumping ground yeah I'm just trying to get rid of the potions that didn't turn out right yeah they're dimension door dump um and and it's leaking through yeah. the dimension that's an interesting idea um maybe it's full oh yeah maybe all the potion sellers do the same thing oh my gosh and the problem is just you know, after enough time, eventually it became full, and now, now it's starting to leak out. Okay, this is eerily similar to what's happening with the nuclear waste in Hanford, where we live. Yeah. I mean, we don't live in Hanford, but we live near-ish. Yeah, close enough for discomfort. Yeah. So I like I like that. I mean, it doesn't really have to link to the to the potion sellers. Obviously, like that's tied up in a neat a neat bow um, that the potion sellers are related. Uh, you could totally have it be something that is unrelated, right? It's just a passing by dragon that keeps picking people up and <laughs> or wiping a, their memories. A or really whatever. bored fae creature yeah. um, who happens to be in the woods, and that's why the ranger disappeared when he was looking for that right. one potion. Some of this depends on whether or not um, this is a mechanic that you want to have just keep going, uh, you know, post figuring it out. Like, if you're using this as a way to explain, hey, why do people suddenly disappear and then reappear? Um, 
and that helps you with scheduling for your for your games then potentially one way to do this is it's just a weird effect we can't get rid of it but it's actually not harmful it's just that you disappear for you know a couple of days and come back um and the town just has to get used to it or whatever and then they like put up signs and it's like a tourist attraction like you could be the next disappeared person <laughs> yeah but how like sucky would it be like i'm waiting for prom my first big dance with a boy or whatever and then you disappear and you come back and you missed it i mean it would certainly be inconvenient but um you know so are like lakes that are so saturated with salt that you can't fish from them and stuff like that that exists in the real world um, at some point, it just becomes like, well, if we can make it into a tourist attraction, maybe we'll, you know, have a set of income for the town that's different from this potion thing. Maybe there's an older guy who's like, I never turned 80 because I missed my birthday. I was disappeared at the time. Yeah. Or I didn't I didn't make my um, court case because <laughs> I was disappeared. Now it becomes a thing that people can just say they were disappeared for a bit. Right. Um, so you could keep, you know, that's one way to maybe keep it around. Like you still explain it. You still have the mystery that's going on, but as it turns out, it's kind of unrelated, uh, to whatever else, you know, the, the actual, um, potion seller stuff, or maybe it's related only because the guy who was supposed to be carrying the potions also disappeared. And then he just appeared a couple of days later, which meant his shipment was late. However, all that is largely uninteresting to me. Um, it, providing an explanation for a plot line that is basically like, Oh, there's nothing you can do about it, and it's also not really that harmful uh, or prob problematic. Ultimately, um, is is not much of a plot. It's not much for the for the characters to do. Well, maybe what they should do is they should be able to reverse it and fix it. But because they were the ones who had to go into this cloud of potion, they are saturated with it. To continue to explain if um, a character has to be gone. They're just, oh, that weird effect's still happening just to us, but we saved the town. Oh, I see. Uh, just for the players. Just for the Occasionally players. Occasionally that happens. Yeah. This is a byproduct of saving this town. They had to go into the, I don't know, cloud of poison or go battle with the fae who um, continued this yeah. effect on us. Yeah, I, I curse you with this thing. Exactly. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. I do like the idea that it's all linked. Personally, I'd probably go with the time warp thing as opposed, and I might have the potions be the explanation for the time warp, but I like the idea that there's no time in between you, you there's no memory wipe because literally you were not conscious. You just were teleported into the future a day or two uh, at this location. And as a result, like you just don't know anything that happened at the time um, which just solves it, like ties all that up into a neat, a neat little bow. Um, as far as that part of it. Oh my gosh! If you ever want to watch a TV show that has kind of this sort of feel to it, you should watch the TV show Severance. Oh sure, where there's a there's an innie person and an outer person. Yeah, and they have no memory of what they do when they're not in their respective areas. So that actually brings up the other the other thing that I wanted to suggest, which is what if it isn't something that's an accident? What if someone's doing it? And that I think is gives you a bad guy. Oh right. Um, and also why do they need people? Right. Why do they bring them back and what happens to you in the meantime? Right. And there's a lot of questions that you then have to answer in that. But having a bad guy for this definitely makes the whole thing feel much more mysterious um, and opens the door that you could then have it start escalating in a way that is like especially terrible 
Like for the most part, people people appear, they're unharmed, they're unchanged, they're exactly as they were, but they have no memory of, of having been gone in the first place. And then all of a sudden one of them shows up dead. Ooh. Um, and, and then it's like, well, wait a second, what happened? Why did this one show up dead while all the other ones appeared to be unharmed? Um, and that could all have to do with, with this, you know, bad guy plot. My, in my mind, probably it would be something like um, some some kind of evil wizard. It'd have to be somebody with a lot of powerful magic, right, uh, that is accomplishing this in one way or another. Um, and maybe using these people for labor or or um, sucking energy out of them in some oh, way. Oh, yeah, or, like Matrix battery style. Yeah. Um, and, and in recognizing maybe he drains them dry, um, for some kind of like spiritual energy or something, uh, something that you wouldn't notice right away, um, but maybe the you know afterwards when you talk to the people who have been abducted, they're like, yeah, I was just like really thirsty when I woke up, um, or or like I was just so exhausted, like I really needed to sleep for twelve hours or something, and that 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 all has to do with like whatever this wizard is doing to them, uh, and then he returns them right back to where they were, and the argument could then be made of the wizard going like, look, I'm not hurting anybody, and putting them right back where they where they are except then you maybe have the escalation of like well that one person tried to escape and so i had to do something about it um and all of this could take place in another dimension or like maybe that's how people are being abducted and not found is when they're taken away they they literally are taken into you know the astral plane or something like that mordecai's mansion right they're actually uh, just acting as butlers it's a pocket dimension yeah he's just got everybody being his butlers or or whatnot um or maybe he has an eternal party going on and he needs people to come to his pool party that's true it could be less nefarious than that right yeah. um or it could be like uh um uh, it could be something like a uh, an automatic running program, um, like maybe the wizard died a long, long time ago, but he his butler um, is like a more or less like a mechanical butler or a, a simulacrum or something like that, and has access to powerful magic, um, and that butler needs other servants, like like he's the head butler and he needs you know at at, at any one point in time needs to have five servants, or at any one point in time he needs someone to buttle for. Sure. Like, oh, so he's abducting these people and like treating them to a nice holiday. Yeah. <laughs> like it, serving on the man. But foot. they don't remember it. Right. And everyone is so freaked out, but actually they're having the time of their lives. They just yeah. don't know. Yeah. So they're really confused when they first show up. Uh, but then like the whole thing is basically like, let let me serve you and, and stuff like that. What would you like for dinner, sir? Yeah. Allow, allow us to make you a, a most delicious delicacy. Yeah. But that could also be turn nefarious you could still have the dead body show up and that's because it was somebody who was like i demand you let me out um but it's always for a set period of time and so the butler you know as they try to escape or something maybe it's dangerous to try to leave oh yeah um so the butler won't let them but you know they finally make their way out and then leaving early causes you know something terrible to happen yeah glitch or this is a, like that. The, the, this is what I'm going to call the Hotel California scenario. Oh, it is the Hotel California scenario. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you can, can never leave. You can check in anytime you like, but you can never leave. Yeah. You could you could set the whole thing up and like have music playing before the plot begins, playing Hotel California, but just like a uh, instrumental just version. Just an instrumental version. Uh, you know, it's enough to like get people thinking about it or whatever, but like not enough to give away the 
the whole thing. That'd be really fun. I mean, if if your players are younger than us, no one will actually know that. Exactly, song. they'll just be like, "What a what a strange, nice song." Oh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Flubba Jubba. Flubba Jubba Two. Flubba Jubba Two. Maybe they want us to say it twice in a row. Oh, Maybe it's Flubba Jubba, Flubba Jubba. Yeah. Flubba Flubba Jubba Jubba. Oh yeah. <laughs> flubba Jubba Jubba Flubba. Oh, I like it. The mirrored effect. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for your question. And we hope that you find uh, one of these answers sufficient. <laughs> yeah, I hope something in there is useful. <laughs> you know, I really like um, the potion dumping grounds inside of a dimension door. It is fun. And then, you know, leaking it, it leaking out can be this whole problem to solve, you know, Um because then it could be like you have to you have to empty this dimension door, but opening it will cause a torrent of magic, basically to spew in every direction. So you can't really open it. <laughs> so how are you gonna like get rid of it and stop it from leaking while while? Uh, oh my gosh, it. it's it's a series of dimension doors. Oh yeah, and and then you could have. I mean that also uh, also opens up the the thing that I love so much, which is anytime you get to roll in a magic magic effects table wild right? magic table yeah so then you're just constantly rolling on wild magic tables as as this is happening like across the town and it's getting worse and worse um yeah that is a fun idea although i think hotel california is probably still my favorite yeah pretty good yeah all righty then yeah let's move on to ask a gm hey our first ask a gm there are two this week Ooh. um is from m4p80y Okay. Um, Mafor, Maforp, ADY. ADE? ADE? Maforp ADE. At first I thought it was like an MP4, but it's not. It's no, it's M4P. M4P. Well, maybe it's Leap Speak. Maybe it's Map. Map Boy. Map Boy. Map Boy. Oh, hey, my gosh. Hey, it's Map Boy. We got it. Yep, we got there. We got there. We got we there. Got there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Map Boy. Man, that was. More difficult than it should have been. <laughs> I used to be really good at LeetSpeak. I know. I remember the, the days of the 90s and typing everything in LeetSpeak. I, I kind of want that as my license plate now. That's kind of cool. I mean, I'm not a map boy. I'm a map yeah, lady. Yeah. <laughs> Maps, wait. All right. They don't love you like I love you. All right. Yeah. Uh, map boy in LeetSpeak says, how do you make big cities not suck? I can confidently say I run a small town great with branching paths and multiple quest lines to choose from. But when I make a big city, I end up preparing the same amount of stuff and I struggle to make it feel bigger. How do I make a big city feel bigger without building literally every building? I'm exaggerating, but you get it. I'm trying to make guilds and wealthy families and other things, but it ends up kind of feeling small anyways. The only difference being these buildings are further apart with a bunch of blurry, unprepped, in-between buildings. Mm. Boy, this is a good question, actually. Map boy, it's a good question. Map, map boy, you're you're right on it. Um, okay, there are several answers to this, and there is one answer that is not an answer that I like, and I'm sure, Matt boy, you're not going to like it either. Don't worry, we're not going to give it to you. Question over. There's several <laughs> question, answers. Question over. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Um, the question that, that I don't like, and you're probably not going to like either is it is totally possible for you to get, say a module or a, um, you know, a, a full map. People have made that of like, here's an entire city. 
So someone out there has done the legwork for you and you could go and track down. It's not, it's not crazy difficult to, to track down. Like here's a map of a city. It includes every building that exists in the city and includes a giant list of NPCs and stuff you can buy in shops and all of that stuff. So um, there are some some like uh, larger modules and stuff like that that often include some of that, especially if you pick one of the modules that takes place in a city already and it's got plot lines already for that. I don't like that answer because I like making custom worlds and I like making custom stuff, but the problem that you're running into, Matt Boy, is a real problem. It, it is hard to make, it's hard to make your world feel big when you have, you know, a limited selection of, of character voices that you can really pick from and a limited number of things you can really describe at one time. Now, of course, part of making a world feel big is just allowing the opportunity for freedom for your players to go and explore. Yes, I actually have two possible answers to this question. And one of them was... Get a basic skeleton going and then have your players help you fill in the gaps. Yes. That was going to be my next suggestion. Yeah. What are some of the buildings that you might find in this big city? Let's, let's brainstorm together. Right. Um, You don't, you don't have to always take on the burden as a game master of filling every aspect of everything, every detail in the world. Oftentimes players, in fact, really appreciate being a part of that process. And so being able to say like, I don't know, what is it you're looking for in this town? Let's, let's roll some dice and see if you can find that. Or um, some other people toss out some ideas of like goofy fun shop names that, that might exist in this town and the and the fun, goofy NPCs. None of that is related to the plot, obviously, or it wouldn't be the player's input, you know, determining it necessarily. Although, if you're really clever as a game master, sometimes you can make one of those player inputs directly related to the plot as well, which is always really great to do. And I like it when when you have a big city, you tend to ask the players, like, what's a holiday Mm -hmm. that this city is known for? Or what is an export that they're known for? What is something that... um, the townsfolk gather every Friday. Why do they gather every Friday? So you, you are building out the world and the city in a way that feels cohesive. So one of the one of the real um, kind of secrets to this is the idea that cities as a whole have a sort of culture or feel to them. Part of what makes a city feel like a big place is that when you go wander into a city, it isn't that you see a million different shops around every quarter. It's that each city has a sort of its own unique personality that it subtly presents to you. So as a game master, when you're trying to describe a small town, you're already giving it that subtle small town personality that that exists in it. With a big city, providing that, that personality is just a matter of giving the overarching feel of what the city is. And some of that is just in the talent of, of practice in doing that again and again. But it can be helped along exactly as you as as Alyssa just described, which is this idea of saying, "What is something? Let's let's put a holiday here. Let's describe some unique aspects that define this city." And I find it is much much easier to do this when you make the city distinctly unique. It isn't just another city you have wandered into. That's part of what robs it of a, of a personality. Being able to say like, "This entire city is built." Um, on top of a lava field. and or it's so, surrounded by water. Or it's surrounded it by water. It can't expand outward, so it expands upward. Right. The entire city is built in, in the treetops and, and along with the forest. The whole 
The whole city is built upside down as a pyramid. So there's one giant building in the very, very center that you walk into, and then the entire rest of the city is upside down, uh, like on a the, giant mountain. On the back of a giant turtle. Right. Um, everything flies in this city because uh, there's a there's a field of levitation that exists around the entire city. Um, in one case, we had a city where where it it rained. It was like the city had two layers, and the bottom layer rained all the time, uh, and then the top layer didn't get any rain. And they took all the water from the bottom layer and brought it up to the top layer. And so there was fashion that exists in the top layer was all wealthy. So there's this fashion that existed of the top layer people where they would wear big collars that were like reverse umbrellas um, as a way of demonstrating that they're clearly not poor because they don't live in the rainy air, rainy part of the city. Yeah, because uh, otherwise the rain wouldn't. If it rained on them, then it would collect in their necks or whatever. Right. And I find one of the best ways to do that is is you start with a sort of ridiculous concept. Start with something that's magical. Start with something that is feels unique. And then extrapolate from there. What would that mean? How would that get represented across this city? Um, if the if the city is surrounded by, by water, by ocean from all sides, and literally the city like is on an island built all the way out to the ocean... Like, what does that mean? It probably means, like, everybody here is um, uh, really great swimmers or they're all uh, um, – the ships everywhere. Maybe maybe the ocean spills into the streets, and so there are, um, like, people surfing, literally surfing down the street or something like that. And you make the whole thing sort of like a California vibe of, of like, everybody wearing wearing Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops and, and uh, you know – uh, have heavy tans or whatever. Fishing is a big culture part of the right. city. Now, what I was going to say, Matt Boy, is that you say you are really good at creating small towns, right? What is a big city but like five or six different small town areas composed into one? Mm. So what I'm thinking of is you have different districts in your town. So build yourself a small city that is the wealthy district. Build mm-hmm. yourself a small city that is kind of the international district. This one has a lot more um, people who come in and stay. Build well, yourself the from, tourist from, district. From different, different cultures or different, different um, you know, fantasy right. uh, species and stuff. Exactly. Um, build yourself a fishing district. And once you get yourself... an uh, in Industry. Yeah, uh, like warehouses and and you know smelters and stuff like right, that. Right, exactly. The theater district or mm-hmm. entertainment. Right. So build yourself five or six smaller cities that have a theme, and smoosh them together under one big city umbrella. Yeah. The middle being town hall or whatever. Um, I I I do think that a lot of a lot of the ability to do this is is the that you don't have to build every NPC and you're ready to just make up some NPCs or some sh- some shops or some places to go uh, on the spot. Oh yeah. When your players want to do that. I um I like to play with a laptop mm-hmm. as my DM screen, as my note taking, everything I do is generally on my laptop. And I will always have a tab open that is a fantasy name generator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, the fantasy name generator I'm thinking of also has town name suggestions. Um, it, it, it branches out. It, you can even get so fa- far into it as finding one that will name drinks at a bar for you. Oh yeah, um, I think um, Don John has quite a few of these, and and there, there, but there are a bunch of websites that that it's easy to find fantasy name generators. Absolutely, it, you you can search and find them, and it's very helpful to have on the fly when you just can't think of a name 
or you just need, you know, you need another personality. You need another thing to go to. Yeah. I do think that it is, it is okay to kind of admit to your players that like you, you don't have this prepped, this thing that is coming, you know, they want to go to a blacksmith and you weren't expecting that. And so you don't necessarily have a blacksmith ready. And, and that is when, you know, turn to the players and, and be like, what do you think the blacksmith should be called? Or, or um, give me something, you know, tell me something funny or, or goofy about this blacksmith. Right. Um, and they can say, like, he's a blacksmith, but he's got two hooks for hands because he doesn't have hands. Um, and then, like, that's a, that's sometimes enough for you to come up with a goofy character or for you to put in, you know, something unique. And oftentimes that's the stuff that's going to be really memorable from the players. Um, but really just being able to visit a lot of unique places and and go to a lot of unique places and maintain some overarching character that is the city itself, right? Some Whatever unique thing it is that you use to define the city, even if that's a holiday or, or a funny, you know, dynamic between um, uh, wealthy and poor people or whatever the, the sort of um, personality that you want to give to the city. Keep, keep that, keep yeah. that going. That's going to give you your big city feel while still having, uh, you know, a plethora of shops and, and NPCs and, and things like that, that you're just sort of either making up on the spot or, or p- tossing it back to the players to help you create. People in this city don't shake hands, they bump feet. Right. Um, and some of these are just like, you know, cultural strange things. Um, nobody in the city makes eye contact because they feel that's the same as having sex with each other. Um, yeah, like, so when you are introduced to them, you have to look at the ground. You have to look at the ground all the time. Um, and and uh, if you if you make eye contact with somebody, they think they're that you're like hardcore flirting with them. <laughs> um, or you know, um, uh, everybody in this town wears big lead shoes, uh, and so everybody sort of clomps around. Uh, it's just the fashion of the day. Uh, it's not practical at all. This town thinks that uh, like reveres chickens, so oh, they yeah. never cook chicken, and there's chickens running around, and any time a chicken uh, poops on or near you. It is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's good luck. <laughs> yeah. It's a big, big deal. Yeah. People will all run, run in and celebrate you. Yeah, woohoo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the chicken scat effect. <laughs> um, uh, and don't feel like you need to come up with all these things on your own. Toss it back to your players. Say, what's a just fun, doofy tradition this town has? Or what's a holiday? Or what's a... Uh, what 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 colors? What are the town colors? What's the sports team that everybody's rooting yeah, for? Yeah, let's make a let's make a sigil for the city. Yeah, and I do find that it's helpful to give players directive questions on this, not just say like, "What makes this city interesting?" Because that can be just as much pressure for the player as it is for you as a game master. Um, but being able to ask some of these these specific questions, what's a food delicacy that's unique to this city? What's what's an interesting trade or export that the city has? Mm-hmm. All of those questions give you a chance to give personality to the city. And you as a game master, these are all seeds for you to use to grow into something wildly ridiculous um, uh, or fun or serious sometimes, you know, really, really interesting political dynamics that end up coming up and more often than not like hunger games right right exactly more often than not they're going to help you make for a more engaging and interesting plot experience in addition to having a city that your players are actually going to remember yeah here here Mm -hmm. thank you matt boy or m4p80y yeah thanks matt boy um we are going to take a quick break all righty break time break it a break break 
And we're back. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, we are welcoming back Just Darn Good 27. Oh, Just Darn Good. Just, just Darn that, that's Good. A, that is one darn good 27. Year old? Or just a just a number. Just a there really nice number. You know, um, our daughter likes to watch those number blocks, and yeah. 27 is like a like ultimate super cube. Yeah. And is the good guy in the in the series, I guess. I guess. It's, isn't it indivisible? Isn't it a prime number? For I liberty mean, and for all, Adam. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. Just Darn Good 27 says, how broke? Okay. Hold on. Caveat here. A lot of times we will get very specific scenario how is this rules is written? And this is why it's an ask a GM question. And I love them, but I have a harder time because I do not know the rules as well as Adam does. I love these. Yes, he does. Okay, here we go. How broken or unbalanced would allowing a player character to pull a character in with a grappling hook as a bonus action? Action, throw grappling hook. Strength check to see if it grabs the monster. Bonus action, pull monster towards the PC. I initially ruled that pulling the monster would take another action, but it's a really cool idea and my player character has tried it often now. He's a battle rage barbarian, so pulling creatures close is a big deal with a spiked armor. I also have a thief rogue and don't want his use an object bonus action to feel invalidated. Maybe should I make the grappling hook bonus action pull the monster five feet instead of all the way close? What do you think? So the the idea here is that the the is is the question using an action to throw the grappling hook and and then having a separate bonus action to pull the monster as opposed to a separate action. So basically, they want to use a grappling hook as a bonus action to pull the character in. So they use their action to see if the grappling hook. Can grab the monster, which, by the way, they said strength check, but I would think that I, was like a dex I would, check. Well, I would. Well, it could be strength because it's a, more or less an attack roll. But I would assume that it's actually more of a um, strength contest with the monster to pull the monster. Well, and that's for the pulling. This is just to see if it catches on. Oh, the monster. I would assume it's an attack roll. I would okay. probably do it as an attack roll against the monster's AC. So it should say action, attack roll to throw the grappling hook and see if it hits and yeah. catches. And then they want to use a bonus action to pull the monster in close to them. But they don't want to invalidate the thief rogue who has a use an object bonus um, to feel like they don't want that to feel invalidated. Wouldn't wouldn't the thief rogues use an object include using throwing the grappling hook as a bonus action instead of using the pole as a bonus action? I don't know. So my, my assumption, so first of all, there is no raw for this. Um, you're trying to do something that is distinctly outside the rules. Let's be really, really clear. Good that, on you. That there is no way to, there's nothing in the rules that says, oh, you can use a grappling hook to pull, pull a monster. Now, of course, it makes sense that, you know, if I can use a grappling hook to climb a wall, I should be able to, you know, wrap it around a monster, just yeah. like a lasso. Or Grapple a, is in or the a name. Whip. Yeah. Um, and and so it, it makes sense to me that you would that you would want to do that. Um, and I feel like that's yes, let's totally yes and that idea. Um, I would be clear with the player if it isn't already clear that it doesn't do any damage. Doing it this way, pulling a monster towards you isn't getting you any damage. It's repositioning the monster, which has maybe its own advantage. Right, especially because they have a spiked armor. Right. 
Um, I don't think that pulling with the grappling hook, if, if you're giving up your attack um, instead of doing damage, I feel like that's that's the whole thing. Well, I actually don't even think you need the bonus action to pull the monster. Well, they're giving they're using their attack to hit with the grappling hook, right? That's what we just came up with. Yeah. So wouldn't that do a little damage? I suppose so. I, I guess the question here is whether or not, because they don't specify it in the question. Um, if I was the game master for this, I would ask the player, what are you trying to accomplish? Is it that you're trying, you want to like embed a grappling hook in a monster and you know, it's spiky and, and hurts the monster. And so you're, you're just doing an attack with a grappling hook and then on a later time, you want to be able to pull the monster to you. In that case, I probably would say that pulling the monster is a separate action, and I probably wouldn't allow it to be a bonus action. Very specifically because bonus actions are this specific list of things that you can do. Um, I would allow it to be a second attack. So if the, if the fighter was level five and could make two attacks in a round, I would allow the grappling hook throw to be one attack and then the pull to be a separate attack. But I would more or less rule the pull just like a bull rush or a um, or any kind of uh, um, uh, like push, you know, a push attack. I think they were called bull rush in a previous version. Okay. Well, this is a barbarian, by the way. Oh, well, either way, they still get a second attack at level five. Okay. Just making sure. So more or less, I would rule this very similar to a shove action. And that is, uh, in a shove action, you can use the attack action to make a special melee attack to shove a creature. And in doing so, you can either knock it prone or push it away from you. Um, if you're able to make multiple attacks with the attack action, this attack replaces one of them. So um, from that perspective, I probably would not allow it to be a bonus action to pull the monster toward you um, if, and this is a really important part of this, if the grappling hook does damage. Because if you use the grappling hook as an attack and it does damage, then you've done an attack. That is your attack for the turn, and it counted as one of your attacks. Now, in shoving, when you use the shove action, that counts as one of your attacks. So if you just wanted to use the grappling hook to more or less lasso a monster and pull them toward you, that should all be one action. Okay. Um, and it doesn't invalidate the rogue's bonus action ability to do stuff, because the rogue could do that, presumably, as a bonus action. The rogue um, can use an item as a bonus action, which more or less using a lasso, a potion, a, um, a thing from your bag, normally costs everybody else an action, which in this case, it is costing you an action. Um, the rogue would be able to do that as a bonus action. And so I'd probably allow the rogue to do the same thing if they, for some reason, wanted to, if they... Um, you know, uh, had a lasso and they wanted, to, or a whip, right? A whip is a great example. If they were a rogue with a whip and they wanted to whip around somebody and pull them towards them, and the rogue might might be strong enough or might not, but I'd still allow them to do that as a bonus action, as an item use, as opposed to specifically an attack. Okay, So, and then you would keep it a strength contest. Yes, and this is very important. The reason that I want it to be a strength contest is that I don't want the barbarian to pull, say, a tarasque towards him. Um, or a, um, a a treant or, you know, any kind of giant creature or something that really, like, should not be able to be pulled, even by a barbarian. Um, I want that to be a strength contest. And um, I still would allow the barbarian to make that kind of pull if the barbarian wins the strength contest, which, you know, he's a barbarian, so he, there's, a, there's a good yeah. chance at that. He's a rage master, apparently. Right. Um, Battle rage. E even more so. So, you know, like, he may have... 
you know, advantage on his strength checks while he's raging or um, or he he may have, like, the extra bonuses to strength and stuff like that. Okay, hey. So so um, the, ru- the rule, I think, as, as I always say it, is if you want to forego the damage from your attack to inflict a status, I will always allow for that. That's creative use um, in, in almost every case. The only times I don't allow for that is where it does make sense. Right. Um, but even if you want to, like, attack with your sword, but you really want to knock somebody unconscious, um, you're going to hit them with the flat part of your sword. I assume you are a skilled swordsman, and since you are not just trying to skewer this guy, um, I assume you could do it. And maybe sometimes I'll give you disadvantage on it. I might make it a little, another check on top of your attack roll. But ultimately, um, I like that you are, are doing more than just doing damage, which is the most boring thing you can do with any item in the game. Yeah, but you're not like, I'm going to use the flat of my sword to hit this guy in the head and inflict lightning damage. Yeah, or, or set him on fire. Or, or poison or him. Yeah. Like, no. Uh, that doesn't make sense. I would probably wouldn't allow for that. Um, or I would make you explain it to me why why it would do yeah. that. Why thing, is right? there suddenly poison damage? Yeah, and you go, well, because I coated it in, in poisonous fish oil. And I go, okay, well, where did you get the poisonous fish oil? <laughs> Let's yeah. have a whole conversation. Also, it's an action this. to coat that in poisonous fish oil. That's true. Unless you're the unless, rogue. Unless you're a rogue and can do it as a bonus action. <laughs> yeah. So I think that mostly answers the question. I think so, too. All right. It's just darn good. There you go. Just just darn good 27. What's What's that? What's, no. up, what's what? On your watch? Wait, what is that? I don't see anything. Oh, you better search the room. Oh. Bump, bump, bump. Search the room. What you gonna do when you search the room? Thing on my watch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was gonna go like, oh my yeah. God, what's that? What's that? What's what? that over there? Doesn't work as well. Hey, we searched the room. We came up with a dark shard amulet. Not the shard. The shard. <laughs> The shard, dark shard, dark shard amulet. Yeah, it's an amulet. It's dark and it's shardy. Yeah, it sounds like it would hurt. Uh, I don't think I want to wear it. <laughs> it sounds very pokey. Um, the dark shard amulet comes from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. It is a wondrous item. Um, common it does require attunement, specifically by a warlock. So this is this one's specifically for you warlocks out there. That's fun. You know, there's not a lot of like class specific items yeah. in uh, in D Uh this amulet is fashioned from a single shard of resilient extra planar material originating from the realm of your warlock patron. While you are wearing it, you gain the following benefits. You can use the amulet as a spell casting focus for your warlock spells. You can try to cast a cantrip that you don't know. The cantrip must be on the Warlock spell list, and you must make a DC 10 Intelligence uh, Arcana check. If the check succeeds, you cast the spell. If the check fails, so does the spell, and the action used to cast the spell is wasted. In either case, you can't use this property again until you finish a long rest. That's pretty fun. I thought you would love it and hate it. I thought you would hate it because if you miss, nothing happens. You wasted. I do hate that. Yeah, I, I know. But that's why I thought it might be interesting to talk about. But I don't mind it as much because it's clearly a reach. It's clearly like a, it's an opportunity to to try to do something that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Um, but only a cantrip. Right. 
in in most cases, so one of the you know interesting things about Warlock is how much they had to rely on cantrips. It's part of the reason why the Warlock spell Eldritch Blast, which is one of their primary cantrips, is one of the best cantrip damaging spells in the game because Warlocks have such a limited number of spell slots. And so um, being able to have something like this that, that grants you access to even more cantrips has a real value to it. And I would say probably would as any spellcaster um, and I would ultimately question why this is specific to Warlock because it's useful for anyone. <laughs> well, what, I do like the idea that it is crafted out of something from the same realm as your patron. So yeah, like I get that. you get this little extra bonus that is tied to your patron, which makes it special. Yeah. I like the flavor. It's fun. Um, mechan- what, what's me- the flavor of your dark shard? Me- mechanically. Ooh, black cherry. Ooh, black, ooh. Bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do like the flavor tech part of this. And uh, um, if I had, a, you know, a wizard who was like, I kind of want this, but for a wizard, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds fine. Uh, we'll make we'll make one of those for a wizard. That one is called the light shard amulet. Oh, sure. The blue shard amulet ooh, or something. purple shard. Purple shard. Um, so... The the value of this is definitely, in my mind, much more powerful in non-combat situations. Um, to use this in combat is to risk basically blowing your entire turn and not casting anything and not having anything happen. Um, there's also there's an effect that sometimes happens that Game Masters will, will sometimes do on accident or, or without meaning, where they have players make too many checks to accomplish something that isn't worth making that many checks. So in general, part of the reason for like attack rolls and for people to roll, you know, spell resistance against spell, spell saving throws is um, that is the first check to allow for the possibility of randomness determining the success of this. The more checks that you add in between the success of an activity, the more likely it is to fail. So if I have, say, three checks just to be able to cast a cantrip, which then could fail anyway, the chances and likelihood of something along that line failing that then prevents it from happening is huge. I mean, it's incredibly likely that I'm going to, one of those rolls will will fail. And this sometimes happens when, when somebody goes like, I want to like spring off the wall and then uh, um, hide in the shadows and then sneak up behind that guy and then stab him. And you go, okay, well, that's like five checks. Um, and that's a mistake that sometimes game masters make and and what you really should do is you should be like it's a hide check roll a hide check which you do as a bonus action and then make an attack roll springing off the wall has nothing to do with that um and it's just flavor which means we're not gonna we're not gonna put that behind a check there's no there's there's no good reason to make you potentially fail that part of it Mm -hmm. so when you look at this magic item what you get is i get a cantrip that i'm gonna cast which already has a check and before I can even cast that cantrip, I then have to make a DC 10 intelligence check, which I also have the opportunity to fail. So it's basically adding a second check to a cantrip, which already is not that powerful, ultimately. Now, the real power of this is the opportunity that you can pick from uh, lots of other cantrips that you may not have access to, and some of which, because they're the warlock cantrips, are very powerful. And it's, it's just if... If you succeed on the check, then this you cast it. Right. But then that cantrip still often requires another check. 
Oh, I see. You see, that's the second check. I see check. what you're saying. Um, however, outside of combat, this provides utility, and that's the real power of this. In combat, it just makes for the potential that you waste your turn. Outside of combat, you have the chance to, like, cast the light spell or cast... You know, there's so many interesting cantrips that the warlock actually has access to, but no warlock who can only take two cantrips would ever take any of these because one of your cantrips is Eldritch Blast, and then the other one is whatever the most useful one or, or on-theme one for your warlock is. So something like this is great because it opens up the possibility of all these sort of side cantrips that aren't normally very useful or very situational suddenly become available to you to help you sort of um, interestingly solve problems or or get away with something goofy in the game. And I love that. That's the opportunity to do that and potentially to maybe fail at it if I... You know, if you if you don't get the check right or something like that, adds a little uh, preventative from you just constantly doing it all the time. Um, so I think this is a great item. You definitely like to add the goofy anywhere you can. I do, and I like to add the creativity. Yeah. Um. There, there's a fine line that you have to walk in in many of these games where, um, if it's too, if I haven't given you enough boundaries it is very, very difficult for you to sort of remain creative and, and the game really loses a lot of fun. And so I need stuff like you can't just have access to every spell in the game and you can't just suddenly, you know, have a, every piece of equipment that you want to have at, at whatever moment you need it. But I also really love the creativity of, oh man, if I had this interestingly, you know, narrow use spell in this narrow use circumstance, it would be a lot of fun. And so being able to have stuff like this that allows you to do that selectively or with limitations is really, really fun. Being able to sort of pull from another spell list that uh, just in the moment to, to be able to do that one goofy thing or that one interesting problem solve um, just because the circumstances allow for that if only you had picked that spell before or if only you had that one piece of equipment. Um, so I really like items that, that allow for that creative use and knowledge of, of the many things that exist in the game, that even though your character doesn't necessarily have access to them right now. Kind of like the Pearl of Power we talked about. Yeah, or a, or a coat that lets you like um, pull mundane items that you can then use or um, or anything like that. I, I like those, those kinds of items. I like the idea that this would be fashioned into like a necklace or an earring or something. Oh, sure. I mean, it's already an amulet. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that would be super fun. Cool. Hey, two thumbs way up for the dark shard amulet. Yeah. Amulet. The arm, 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 arm. It's an armband now. <laughs> yeah. That's could, be, could be, why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it'd be great. Hey, uh, thanks for listening to another great episode of the Next Session Podcast. Yeah, you can go, if you have a question or if you have a comment or if you'd like to correct me because I'm wrong or correct. It does happen. It, it happens from time to time. Uh, you can submit those things at our website at nextsessionpodcast.com. And we're on Facebook at The Next Session. You can also find us on Instagram at Next Session Podcast. I'm Adam Johns. And I'm Alyssa Johns. Tune in next time and we'll help you prep for your next session. Goodbye.